Dr. John Easter on Together in Missions. Here is Dr. John. Welcome back. And I just want to encourage you this morning that I believe that God is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're in this series called Build to Last. And we have been celebrating 100 years here as a church at Portland Christian Center. And we believe our best days are actually right in front of us. And we're so excited about all that God is doing. Now, the very first thing I said to you was that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, where did I get that? That's actually in scripture. And we're going to talk about that today in Matthew chapter 16. So grab your Bibles and we're going to read that Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to begin in verse five in just a moment. Now, I want to set the stage for you. Um, Jesus is with his disciples and they're going around Galilee and all of Israel. And they're doing some amazing things. They're seeing people healed. They're seeing deliverances. They're uh, preaching the word, but they're also experiencing opposition. And they've been traveling with Jesus for a while and they're about to go do something which is really interesting and actually, I think, difficult. And you'll see why in just a moment. Difficult for the, uh, the disciples to process why Jesus would take them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. Have you ever been on a, a journey and you're not sure why someone takes you there? I can remember being, as, being on, a, um, on a road trip with my, my parents and we would drive some places and they would stop off at a certain spot like a gas station or a rest area or a restaurant and asking yourself, why did we stop here? I remember one place in particular, we stopped and the bathrooms, we all had these restrooms and the bathrooms weren't working. And we remember thinking, what just happened? And we ended up driving all over this little town trying to find a bathroom and we're thinking, why are we here? And the same thing is happening to the disciples. Jesus has kind of taken them on these little field trips, if you were. And you can just see, and you'll, you'll find out why in just a moment. They're asking themselves, why? Why are we here? But I want you to know, Jesus never does something on accident. He actually has a purpose. And you're going to see Caesarea Philippi, the reason that he chooses this town, this place, this moment is so strategic, so important that if you miss it, you will actually miss a key component for how God is going to build a church that will last. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to pick up in verse 5. It says, when they, this is Jesus and the disciples, went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Ugh, they forgot the food. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this amongst themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about not having bread? Do you still not understand? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Say, not getting it, not getting it. Turn to your neighbor and say, not getting it. Not getting it. But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They, then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in the bread, 
but against the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When Jesus, now this is the part that's interesting. This is the stop that I was referring to. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, this is the question, who do people say the son of man is? Right there is the question. So again, he crosses over the lake. He comes into this, this town called Caesarea Philippi. He stands there and he asks this question with this, there's a mountain behind him, Mount Hermon. Who do people say the son of man is? Now, you need to understand what is happening at Caesarea Philippi. The disciples would have been absolutely shocked, and here's why. This would have been considered the modern day red light district. This was a place that the Jewish, Christian, Jewish leaders, Jewish followers of Yahweh, they would never even come close to this mountain or these, this cave because sinful behavior was happening all over the place. In fact, and, and I want to read this to you, um, it's, it's this place where in the pagan mind, the cave of Caesarea Philippi created a gate to the underworld where fertility gods lived during the winter. They committed detestable acts to worship these false gods. Caesarea Philippi's location was especially unique because it stood at the base of a cliff where a spring of water flowed. At one time, the water ran directly from the mouth of the cave set at the bottom of the cliff. The pagans of Jesus' day commonly believe, now this is important, that their fertility gods lived in the underworld during the winter and returned to earth each spring. They saw water as a symbol of the underworld and thought that their gods traveled to and from the world through caves. So the pagan mind would see where Jesus is about to talk to his disciples as an entry point to hell and that their God, Pan, each year would show up and bless them with fertility. That's why they made sacrifices and did kinds of, all kinds of evil there. And Caesarea Philippi engaged in all kinds of horrible things like prostitution and sexual interactions, even with something as awful as animals. It was a horrible place, detestable, unthinkable. Jesus stands right in front of it and he brings, this to, brings them to this area and he asks this question, who do people say the son of man is? Wow. In front of a horrible place with sin and darkness all over, he says, who do you, who does the son, who do you say the son of man is? And this is what they said. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? That is the most important question any of us will ever have to answer. Who do you say Jesus is? And we're going to hear Peter's answer in a moment, but I want you to ask yourself that question. Who do I say that Jesus is? Who do I say the Son of Man is? It's not enough to say my parents were Christians, my grandparents were Christians. I had an uncle that followed Jesus. I had school teachers. I heard great things about it. Th that all that is not enough. The most important question, the most important thing about you is, who do you say that Jesus is? So this is what happens. He asked that question and this is what they replied. This is what Simon Peter says. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And that word there is Petros, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, which by the way, would be right behind him. You can just almost see him pointing. This is where it is, this place of evil, the place where Satan and sinful behavior has said, this is my land, this is where I belong. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys. I love this picture, the keys, the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Do you, do you catch that? The church that Jesus is building is not one that people are to be afraid or to be avoiding evil. Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah. I am Lord. I am bigger than anything in the world, including evil. And I'm going to take you to this rock, to this mountain. And upon this rock, I'm going to storm the gates of hell. They have no chance. And I'm going to build my church. In other words, everyone here who has given up their lives for Satan and evil, I have the power, check this out, to turn their hearts back to me. There's no evil that I can't overcome. So he's looking at this whole mountain, this land, and he's saying, you know what? I can win. In fact, I've already won. And not only that, I'm going to give you now the power through my spirit, the keys to the kingdom, and you're going to be able to do great things. And you are going to build the church that will last. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. And so here's the big idea. I'd love for you to write this down maybe take a picture of the screen. I want you to remember this because this is how a church will build to last. And here's what it is, the big idea. A church that builds to last doesn't hide from evil, it storms the gates of hell. I wanna say that again. A church that builds to last does not hide from evil, it storms the gates of hell. That's what Jesus was calling his disciples to. And I believe that's what he's calling us to as well. But here's a really important question we need to ask ourselves. How do we storm the gates of hell? I want, to, I want you to ask yourself three questions about this. How do we storm the gates of hell? The first thing you have to remember, first question, number one, is are you fighting a spiritual battle with physical weapons? Are you fighting a spiritual battle with physical weapons? Because the weapon, I'm going to read this verse for you. The battle is actually spiritual, not physical. If you remember when Jesus was in the boat, the disciples forgot the bread. And he's talking about the Pharisees and their spiritual blindness. And for some reason, the disciples are missing the point. They think Jesus is talking about bread because they're hungry. And he's like, I already fed 5,000. I've already fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. I can do all things. I'll feed you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual food. I'm talking about things that will last forever. You see, we live in two worlds, physical and spiritual. And the spiritual world is real and it affects the physical, but you cannot fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons. You have to learn to fight with spiritual weapons. And I'm going to teach you what that is in just a moment. But you have to recognize that there's a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.10 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of the greatest things that a believer must understand is that you are in a war. You're in a battle. You're in a battle against good, against evil, and for good. And to do that, you have to actually partner with the Holy Spirit and fight the enemy. Go forward in God. But the battle looks so different because when I start talking about, yeah, we're going to storm the gates of hell, we're going to do all these things, oftentimes we think that people are the problem, but people are actually the prize. We say that all the time, people are the prize. It's a spiritual battle. There's something happening deeper that God wants you and I to learn to fight for and against. And I want to give you an example of this. And there's a lady named Ashley Smith in 2005, and she was living in Atlanta. And she was taken hostage at 2.30 in the morning on March 12th. And this was by a man who had already murdered people. He was out. He had been out doing horrible things. He was in a courtroom and got out, and he kidnapped this lady. And as she was afraid, she was tied up in her apartment, and the man was pacing with a gun. She was sure she was going to die. She started praying, and she asked the man, could I get my Bible and the book, The Purpose Driven Life? And the man looked at her and said, okay. So he untied her. She went in the bedroom, got a Bible and The Purpose Driven Life, and she began to read scripture, and then she read out loud day 33 of the book, and I want to read it to you. It says this, we serve God by serving others. The world defines greatness in terms of power, possessions, prestige, and position. If you can demand service from others, you've arrived. In our, serving, in our self-serving culture, with its me-first mentality, acting like a servant is not a popular concept. This alleged gunman, gunman Brian Nichols, who overpowered courtrooms, who killed people, suddenly got calm and asked her to read it again. And as she began to read not only the purpose driven life, but she began to read scripture to him, he suddenly began to calm down. And the Holy Spirit dropped something into her and said, hey, can I at least go get my daughter? She's at a church group function, spend the night. I need to go pick her up so that um, I can make sure she's safe. I'll drop out the family member and then you can have me. The, the gunman agreed to it takes her to the church, and as she goes in, she escapes and is safe. The man is later captured. That's the power of what God can do. A man who is broken, who was hurt, who's done horrible things, he is overcome by good, not by evil. I love what Abraham Lincoln says. We don't overcome evil with more evil. You overcome evil with good. And I just want to encourage you today. You may be facing something where it's a difficult battle. It may not be as extreme as kidnapping, but maybe you're facing a situation where there's pain, where there's brokenness. Maybe you have a family member who doesn't know Christ. I was talking to a friend whose brother is strung out on drugs right now and, and not sure how to help them. I just want to tell you right now, the weapon that you fight with is not flesh and blood. 
Don't attack the person. Take it to the Lord. Pray. Do battle on your knees. Ask the Holy Spirit to touch them, to change them. Read the Bible. Read it out loud. Declare the promises and the truth of God's word because his word is powerful. It's active. And the Bible says it's sharper than any double-edged sword going right to the heart of the matter. I believe that the power of God can do anything. And so the first thing that we must ask ourselves is, am I fighting a spiritual battle with a physical weapon? The second question I want you to ask yourself is, have you put the armor of God on? Have you put the armor of God on? It says this in that same passage in Ephesians, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Put on the armor of God. I want to encourage you to spiritually put on the armor of God. And how I do it most mornings is I, just so you know, I take a shower every day. I hope you do too. And I pretend with the soap, I say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to put on the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the, the, the shoes of peace. I want your peace all day. And I need the armor of God because God wants me to not only be on the offensive, but to be protected. And that's what the armor does. It protects you against the schemes of the enemy. And I, wanted, I want you to hear this. The armor that you need to put on is the armor that God has for you. Remember when King Saul told David to take his armor and go kill Goliath? What did David say? Hey, I'm not used to this. It doesn't fit me. I can't win. I want you to hear this. The battle that you're in, God has an answer for you, a way for you to win. You've got to put on the armor for you. Don't put on someone else's armor. Put on God's armor for you. It's perfectly fitted for you. And the last thing it says this, and I'm going to say the last verse, it says that, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. And that leads me to number three. Have you developed a powerful prayer life? You're not going to storm the gates of hell if you don't pray. We've said this throughout this whole time with prayer and fasting that a prayerless church is a powerless church. And I want to remind you in verse 18, it says, and pray in the spirit on all, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the, all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I want to say this to you. A church that builds to last doesn't hide from evil. It storms the gates of hell. Not the way the world does it, but by praying with power and with strength in the Holy Spirit, by putting on the full armor of God, by recognizing that I'm not fighting against flesh and blood, but I'm actually fighting a spiritual battle. This week, we've been doing prayer with fasting. We've prayed, Sunday on, uh, we prayed on Sundays. We prayed every day, Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock. We've played Wednesday night. 
We've fasted. We're calling on God and we're already seeing God do amazing things, but he's not done yet. Portland, I want to say this prophetically. Some people may say it's a lot like Caesarea Philippi. And I think, yeah, you can go find places and do that. But I just believe that Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Am I the Messiah, the one that came to set hearts free, that can turn any city, any heart around for the glory and power of God? He can do all things. So let's believe that God can do all things. I was talking to a man just last Sunday and he was coming into church and he was telling me his story. He said, you know, I had given up my life to drugs. I had become someone who was addicted to cocaine. And as I, he was telling me the story, I could just see the pain and the brokenness. And he started talking about how he lost his life, his family, and he was living alone all by himself. And then out of nowhere, he felt, he heard a voice say, come back to me. And he went to church and God met with him. And what he didn't know was that there was friends and family that were praying with him at that very moment. And Jesus showed up and he left his life of brokenness, came to church, found God, and his life is never the same. And I just want to tell you, friends, right now, prayer works. Keep praying in all occasions, in all kinds of ways. Don't stop praying. Even as I close today and we get ready to wrap up this message, I want you to take away one simple thing. That we are not people that hide from evil, but we storm the gates of hell. And how do we do that? By prayer. We pray fervently, we pray with power, and we have confidence that, and here's the key. In John 1, 7, it says this, that he who began a good work will carry it to completion. Do you believe that God will carry you to completion? That he'll carry your family to completion? That he will take what he started and he will finish. And I believe that for you today. So would you, right where you are, now if you're driving, don't do this. Keep your hands on the steering wheel. But if you're sitting... Um, in your living room or if you're at home, I want you to take your hands and I want you to lift them up to Jesus with me. And we're going to pray that God is not done with Portland yet. He's going to build this church that will last and we are going to see him continue to transform our city, our families, across the street and around the world. So Father, right now in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that you would stir our hearts to pray. The weapons we fight with are not flesh and blood but they're principalities and powers of darkness. So we come against the schemes of the enemy. We cancel the assignments of the enemy. And we declare right now that you who begin a good work, you are going to carry it to completion. You are building a church that will last way beyond 100 years. I believe that. And I pray prophetically over the families that are watching this right now in Jesus' name that you would touch them. Where there are families that are estranged, I pray for unity. Where there are people that have gone away from God, they're coming back to you. Where there are people that are still struggling with addictions, I pray freedom over them right now in Jesus' name. I pray for reconciliation in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you that you are going to finish the work in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, as we get ready to sign off today, I want to ask you to take one more step. And here's what it is. I'm going to put a declaration up on the screen and I'm going to read it to you. I want you to take a picture of it 
And you can either print it off or do something else. But I want you to take this next week and I want, to, I want you to read it every day this week. That's my challenge for the next seven days to read this over your family, over Portland and believe that God has great things in store. So here's what it is. It's going to come up on your screen. Lord Jesus, open my eyes to see the real battle, to put on your armor and pray with power because I fight from victory, not for it. I refuse to hide from evil. Instead, I conquer evil through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us online for a live stream at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com.